pursuing relationships relationship on purpose. One of the things that our father wants is us become one. I want to do what pleases my father. We don't have to be instantly mature in everything to be loved. You got the love of God, you got the holiness of God. You got to marry the two because that's who and what God is. This is the Encounter Culture Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Encounter Culture Podcast. I'm Josh Coat, your host. This is where we pursue relationship on purpose. I apologize for my voice this week. I lost it last week in the middle of the week and I'm finally getting it back. So I'm going to make this introduction very short, but I do want to talk a little bit about empowering the poor. And I've got a great guest on this episode of the Encounter Culture Podcast. James Whitford will be joining me. We're going to be talking about the epidemic of poverty and homelessness and how we address it through relationship, how we forge relationships with people that are in the problem, not dealing with the problem itself, but dealing with the heart of the matter. And how do we do that? We do it by preferring one another. You know, Paul calls us to prefer one another. In Philippians 2, he says, hey, if there's any kind of agreement, if there's any kind of comfort from the love of Christ, if there's anything in your hearts that's tender and compassionate, then we should do whatever we can to agree wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose, and not to be selfish, not to impress others, but humble ourselves, thinking of others better than ourselves, not only looking out for our own interests, but looking out for the interests of others. And that's really the heart of it. That's what uh, James is, is talking today with me on the program about. Empowering the poor and giving them not just a hand up, but a hand. A hand of friendship, a hand of love, and a hand of encouragement to get them out of the situation that they're in and to the potential that God has created them for, the purpose that God has destined in their lives. So when I come back, James Whitford will be here on the program with me. You definitely don't want to miss this special episode of the Encounter Culture Podcast. Be right back. The Encounter Culture Podcast is sponsored by Identity AV, audio and video resources where you are. They partner with churches and community organizations to help give participants the very best media experience, both live and remotely. From assessing your current setup to training your tech team, they provide expert advice and application to help you get your media to optimal operation. To discover how they do this and sign up for a free initial assessment, go to discoveridentity.com AV. This is the Encounter Culture Podcast. Welcome back to the Encounter Culture Podcast, where we pursue relationship on purpose. So fortunate to sit down with James Whitford. Been working in water gardens for many, many years and spearheaded the True Charity Initiative. So happy to have you on the program with me Thank you, Josh. Great to be here with you. So for folks that may not know who you are, tell a little bit about your history where you've come from and what sure, you're doing. Sure, yeah. Well, uh, you know, of course, 
central here in southwest Missouri. That's where we're primarily located doing work in Joplin. And my wife and I co-founded a ministry 23 years ago called Watered Gardens. And so I'm not sure the range of your listeners, but I, but so Watered Gardens Ministries in Joplin, Missouri, a long time ago. In fact, I, I had just recently uh, sat down with a, a young lady who I was orienting, a new employee, and I was asking about the history. I said, do you know about the history of Watered Gardens? And she was like, well, you know, I don't know. I said, well, do you know when it started? And she shrugged and thought for a second. And then she said, I think it was before I was born. And I tell you, I, I was like, oh my, oh my gosh. For the first time ever, I was sitting down with someone where we had started the ministry uh, before she was actually born. And so we've been around for quite a while now, for 23 years doing this work. And when we first got started, people would call sometimes and say, hey, do you guys sell bird baths there at Watered Gardens or lawn care <laughs> equipment or that kind of thing? And we said, no, it comes out of the Bible. It's Isaiah chapter 58, where God is promising his people that if, you know, we will clothe the naked and feed the hungry and shelter the poor, that we'll be like a watered garden and like a spring whose waters never fail. So a beautiful promise out of the Bible for God's people when we really give of ourselves. You know, Isaiah 58 10 says, if you'll extend your soul or give yourself to the hungry, then there are these promises that come as a result of that. And so uh, that's our ministry. And today, there are a lot of things we're doing through watered gardens that you, we may want to talk about a little bit later. But Tell me a little bit about True Charity Initiative. Yep. So True Charity was birthed out of watered gardens. It's an initiative that's championing now a national movement of privately funded, effective charity at the most local level. So that kind of idea, that topic fits well into a podcast about the importance of relationships. And right now we are growing a, a national network of churches and organizations that are aligning with these ideas of, you know, hey, let's do this through voluntary funding and voluntary effort, not, you know, doing it through government grants and money. And let's measure our impact. Let's not just uh, measure outputs, but outcomes. And let's not just do handouts. Let's be work-oriented or exchange-oriented in what we do. So this idea of privately funded, outcome-driven, work-oriented approaches to fighting poverty, we believe is the future of effective charity work in America. And, and right now, dependency is such a huge problem. How are we going to free people from dependent poverty? We need to change, really transform the way that charity is being delivered in the United States. So a lot of the true charity initiative, all of that work uh, launched out of really some frustrations that we were sensing in watered gardens as we were working with people and we knew what was needed and we knew them because we had developed real relationship with them. And then all of a sudden, they're being enticed or incentivized in some way that is not helpful or healthy. And they're just, you know, going for the next handout when really they've got capacity and potential and ability that's not being developed because of this perpetual type of relief uh, stuff. And so we've got to quit treating symptoms, look at really treating the source of the issue. That's what true charity is all about. And, and again, it came out of Watered Gardens. We now have 144 churches and nonprofits across 29 states that are a part of our true charity network. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah. exciting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing how detail-oriented you are in, in really uh, kind of filtering out the stuff that gets in the way and getting to the heart of the matter. And a lot of that is relational. 
tell us a little bit when I say relationship, where does your heart go? Well, uh, my heart goes, uh, yeah, yes, right? So, like, <laughs> as like absolutely, my mind says that's messy, right? So, sure. and, and it is, but, and I mean, I know that you are, uh, you're talking on, you know, on, on your podcast about a lot of different aspects of relationship. Right. And of course, my whole mind and heart are all about how do we develop relationship with the poor, right? And really what we found is that if there's not a relationship that gets developed with, with a single individual and, and it has some depth to it, some commitment to it, uh, where there's we're going to be meeting regularly, uh, honesty and transparency, authenticity. If we don't have those things, then we're not ever really going to uh, solve some of the problems that we see. I've been saying to a lot of groups lately, Josh, uh, as long as the desire to solve, let's just take homelessness. Okay, it's a big deal. As long as the desire to solve the problem of homelessness exceeds the desire to be with people, who are struggling in homelessness, we will never solve the problem. Wow, wow. That's a hard pill to swallow because the scales are tilted right now to a great extent toward, we just want to solve the problem. Right. People do their drive-bys, they see it on the news, and they, hey, we've got a problem. And people call me, they come, you know, varies, we need to solve the problem. And I just continue to say, as long as the desire to solve the problem exceeds the desire to be with the person who's in the problem, we will never get it done. So it boils down to real relationship being developed one-on-one, which is why I'm so excited to be with you here yeah. today. <laughs> Give us an example. What, what I know you've probably got hundreds of stories Tell us a story about how sure. relationship was forged and changed a life. Sure. Yeah, there are a lot. I, I love to uh, share about Jocelyn, and, and I'll tell you why here in a second. But Jocelyn uh, was living on the streets, so she was actually living out of a cardboard box on Skid Row at one point in her life. Ended up coming to southwest Missouri. Things didn't get any better. She remained addicted to drugs on the streets, you know, couch surfing, that kind of thing. Got into a lot of trouble. Ended up getting uh, sentenced to 400 community service hours. So it's like maybe the jails were a little full. So they just said, you're going to do 400 community service hours. So she got assigned to Watered Gardens. So, you know, Jocelyn comes and she starts working alongside us. And we get to know her. We're developing real relationship with her. She can't even come into the chapel. She's like sure that lightning's going to strike if she steps into the chapel space at the mission. And she just has this anxiety about it. Can't do it. Finally, she warms up enough after, you know, weeks of working alongside us. She steps into the chapel. And uh, here's a sermon that moves her heart. She gives her life to Jesus. And so everything begins to change. And then she, she says... Uh, I've, I'm going to go to college. I mean, this is, I was like, what? So she goes to, she, and she does it. She goes to college. She says, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get a degree because I want to work here. She goes and gets her degree, then goes back, gets her master's degree in social work and counseling, 
comes back to the mission, and now she's managing our shelter at Watered Gardens Ministries. And so, and what's really cool is that she will still say to me from time to time, either on the phone or in passing, she says, hey, tell my best friend I said hi. And when she says that, she means my wife. So it was my wife, even years and years ago, developing real relationship with one individual, and it was a life changer for Jocelyn. Yeah, yeah. What is our role as ambassadors of reconciliation, as followers of Jesus, to be an influence in others' lives? A lot of people in our culture, we're supposed to be individuals, let people do their thing and be accepting of everyone, and the Lord calls us to a different invasive kind of mission to really help people live their very best life. Yeah. What are some practical ways we do that? Well, yeah, we um we carry in us as, you know, as as believers, right? We carry in us a truth and really um a mission of justice. So we see injustice uh, around us a lot these days. Things that are not as they ought to be. It's a very simple definition. Something, you know, that's uh, justice could be defined like that. I like Ken Weitzman's definition in pursuing justice. He says, truth pertains to what is, which we see a lot of that. Justice pertains to what ought to be. So I think as ministers of reconciliation, wanting to reconcile people, having a commission, right, to reconcile people to God, this is a, a compelling toward justice. So how do we do that? Well, we have to be willing to invest ourselves in the lives of another person. And I think when people from a distance, they may say, oh, okay, being a mentor, being a friend to somebody who's struggling in poverty is to uh, maybe do some fun things together, have a coffee together, you know, that kind of thing. Well, this is good. That's true. But they're also tough things. And this is where I think we often fail, where we're not willing to maybe speak truth into a person's life with love and compassion, but it's truth nonetheless, so that we can help that person uh, move in a direction that's going to be healthy. And we've got to realize today there are significant neglect, abuse, and trauma happening in uh, children's lives because of the breakdown of the family. And so those folks are now reaching adulthood. Some of them are already middle age, and they have not really experienced or been in real healthy relationship with a person who can guide them. This is the idea of mentoring, right? To be a good guide, to speak truth, to share wisdom and experience, but to guide. That's what it boils down to. When you're talking about building real relationship with people who are stuck in chronic poverty, we must realize that people are stuck in chronic poverty, at least in one part, because they're not working. Statistics are clear. If you just even keep a part-time job long enough, you end up out of poverty. Because people who are in part-time work consistently, they end up with a full-time job. And people who are full-time employed, they, they just don't stay in poverty. And so, but how do, I, how do I do work? How do I interact with fellow employees? How do I interact with my boss? What are those soft skills that I need to even get through the interview process? Who's willing to teach me this stuff? Who's willing to correct me and guide me? These are not easy things, right? But if we really love people and we, sh- and we share first the compassionate heart of Christ with people and that we really care about them and that we're willing and we show up for our meetings on time to be with them and 
then they begin to trust us. And when that trust is developed, it, it opens up all sorts of doors to be able to say, hey, Josh, I want to talk with you about something <laughs> so True. that we can have yeah. more honest conversation. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we miss a lot. Yeah. And someone in a traumatic situation like poverty and what leads to poverty uh, tend to have their guard up and tend to be very, very cautious of relationships. And and the very first sign of of anyone trying to be any kind of invasive is either fight or flight. And yeah. so that trust that trust issue is, it's is a great. That's such a great point. Thank you for making that note. I would not want your listeners to think, okay, I'm going to go have a coffee with somebody and see if I can help correct them. <laughs> that is <laughs> right. not. Yeah, yeah. That is not how that works. <laughs> People have got to know that you really care. There has to be that trust foundation in order to move into that phase of of helping guide a person like that. Yeah, I said before we started, uh, you know, you hear the people don't need a handout, they need a hand up. I like to say people just need a hand. They just need a connection. They need a friend. You know, and what's really neat about that, when you said that, I thought, which means it doesn't just go one way. You know, it's not a hand up where somebody's pulling you up. And and neither should uh, your listeners think that because I, I'm saying it's important to help guide and, and direct another person that we ourselves can't receive some direction and guidance in the relationship that we're in. And so, uh, you know, everybody has a completely different array of life experiences. And, you know, I have not been through a lot of the things that other people have been through. I'm going to learn from them. And I think we just need to approach those relationships with uh, authentic humility. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. That's good. Preferring one another, no matter what state of life we're in, if we just prefer each other and we consider others better than ourselves. It's kind of biblical. <laughs> <laughs> it is very biblical. And it's what it is so much what our society needs today, where no matter the behavior or the political affiliation or whatever, right? Yeah. Are we able to see in every person the image of God? Right. Because every person was made in the image of God. And so there's something that, like, there's a an, an inherent value that's in every single person, and we need to be able to see that. And just because they don't agree, or or even if they're wrong, or whatever the behavior is, is, you know, uh, absolutely atrocious, whatever it might be, I think we need to be able to, like Jesus did with people, see beyond the immediate and see the way things ought to be. Yeah. See the person that God's intended, and, help and be them get and, there. yeah, and be yeah, be willing to help them get there. Yeah. For example, you're talking about Jesus restoring people, the woman with the issue of blood, twelve years. If only I could touch the hem of his garment, the power went out of him. Who touched me? And he turns around, and he lifts her up, and he calls her back to dignity, daughter of Zion. Not only was mm-hmm. she healed physically, but she was no longer an outcast or an untouchable. He brought her back up to her right standing as a as a daughter of Zion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's so true. Uh, I I love it too when he sees Zacchaeus in a tree, right? <laughs> and and he and he doesn't say, uh, "Hey, uh, I, I'm going to invite you over to my place for dinner tonight." Instead, it's I'm going to join you in your house for dinner. I love that too, where uh, it's it's not, um, "Hey, it's." It shouldn't always be, our church is having a big function. We want to open our doors and just welcome you to come and be a part of that. I think the church, hmm. the people, right, his yeah. people, ought to be able to make themselves comfortable in a little broken down trailer that doesn't have running water 
in a couch that's broken down that might have marijuana stuffed under the couch and the smell of cigarette smoke and a pit bull chained up in the backyard and a mom with her two toddlers running around. Can you be comfortable in that situation? Can you sit down on that couch and get to know that mom? And until the church is able so to do it or willing to do it, uh, we're, we'll continue to see, I think, more cultural divide happen and more people remain in situations that are lost. Yeah. So give us a little bit of encouragement. For anyone listening, what's the takeaway? What are you going to inspire in the hearts of those that really are being stirred by this message of, yeah, I want to reach out, I want to connect, I want to make a difference? Yeah. I think we've got to remember that Jesus has called us to a cross. Uh, Anyone who wants to follow me, he's got to take up his cross. There is this idea of death, right? In, in the book of Romans, chapter 6, he who has died is freed from sin. There's this idea of dying to ourselves, and it's what Jesus is calling us to. And I think every listener needs to know that until we're really willing to get there, and I know it's a re-crucifixion every day. I understand that. We wake up in, in the flesh, but we have a choice to say, I'm, I'm not chasing after my own desires today. That will empower us to enter into relationship with people. And when we do, we find an incredible blessing in that. It's not easy. It's not something that uh, is going to seem good or feel good before you begin to do it. There there will be all sorts of reasons why you're not going to take the time to do it. But when you do it... Mm then you realize that there's a blessing. And it really is the watered garden's blessing uh, that you begin to, you feel that and you go, oh my gosh, this is God's economy. When you give of yourself, you actually end up richer in other ways. And so I think that's probably important to communicate. And, And I might also mention a story that was really moving to me that was in a movie not long ago. It was April 11th, 1966, about 35 miles east of Saigon, para-rescue men, William Pitsenbarger, was lowered from a chopper into a firefight that was very hot. And his job was to mend, save lives. And so he's doing tourniquets and making stretchers out of saplings and trying to get guys back in the basket to get them hauled up. And the pilot was trying to call him back up because the firefight was so hot and he wouldn't go. In fact, it was estimated during that time he saved about 60 lives that day before he was shot and killed by a Viet Cong sniper. So it's a fantastic, heroic story of a 22-year-old young man who gave his life for the sake of others. And as I went through that story in my mind, I realized... You know, he could have taken a crate of bandages, morphine, syringes, you know, tourniquets, and like kicked the crate off of the chopper, and they could have flown away. And some would have said, hey, we did something. But what actually had to happen is he had to be on the ground to see each person, to understand what the need was at the moment, to know where to apply the tourniquet, what was needed for that individual. There's no way we're going to address the issues of homelessness in our city or communities or the issues of chronic poverty by pushing things off of a chopper from on high. There's no plan that's going to solve that. It does require people like William Pitsenbarger who are actually willing to get on the ground and be in the middle of all of the mess 
the firefight and get to know people and love them right where they are, that is what will change and save lives. Absolutely. So good. So good. People want to voluntarily give of their time or the resources. How can they get in touch with yeah, you? Yeah. So like if a person's heart is to get involved in the ministry in Joplin at Watered Gardens, you know, go to wateredgardens.org forward slash volunteer, or we have a volunteer tab at the top of the page or a give tab. If you want to give to the ministry, you can do that. If you're kind of a strategic thinker and you're interested in how do we change the problem of dependency in America today and really help people escape the trap of uh, dependent poverty, then true charity might be the thing that you're interested in, or just how do we help Uh, the movement of effective charity nationally. Uh, So truecharity.us. Truecharity.us is a website to check out. And we even have some events that will be coming up. So we always have events. You can check out our events page. Come to one of our events and see what's going on. Awesome. Awesome. James, great to have you on with me today. And Josh, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I love you and I love everything you're doing. (laughs) You too, brother. Thanks. So good to have James on the program with us. I look forward to sitting down with him again in the future and discussing this issue in our community. And it's it's an issue that's in every community. But if we really go after relationship and not just give a hand up or a handout, but just give a hand of love and compassion, we can really influence and help change someone's life. Next week, hopefully my voice will be back. And I will be sitting down with a good friend of mine, someone I do life with on a social level, on a ministry level, and even on a career level, Will Brown, owner of Brown Boys Roofing in Northwest Arkansas, will be sitting down with me and talking about relationship in the workplace, how we can extend the life of Christ to those that we work with. That's one you definitely want to tune in for. It'll be right here on the Encounter Culture Podcast next week. We'll see you then.